This is part two of my chat with Mads Torgerson on C-Sharp 10, where he addresses listener questions. A few days ago, I sent out a tweet asking people if they have any questions for you. And we got some. Uh, I'm going to start going through. First one, adding something like Rust Edition or Strict Mode in JavaScript for C-Sharp avoids deprecated features. I'm not fully sure on what that's getting at, but you as a language designer might be able to explain it. Well, I so this talks about avoiding deprecated features. We don't have deprecated features in C Sharp, but I mean, we did talk about the modern C Sharp earlier in this in this conversation, where there's sort of a subset of C Sharp. So I guess you could have like a mode where you um, where you get failures if you use um, older versions of of the language, if you will. You could imagine that. I, that's one thing, one way to read the question, at least. Um, as it is with C-sharp, we just talked about Roslyn, and one of the things that it, you know, can do other than compile programs for you is uh, you can do analyzers, which are these little tooling helpers that can run both interactively as part of, of Visual Studio or in your build pipeline as well and give you errors or warnings. And, and people can build those themselves on top of the Rosling object model, which is an API in C-sharp that you can code against in C-sharp. So, so what I would probably do here is if I wanted to target a specific subset of C-sharp, I would just write a little analyzer that flags any any use that's out of bounds. And uh, and you could just that you could get your own strict mode like that, essentially. What next question? What happened to the extension everything proposal? Ah, um, so I think this came up in our either C sharp eight or C sharp nine discussion as well from a listener. Yeah, extension everything has been is is sort of a shorthand for those who don't know what I what I mean by that. You know, we have extension methods in C sharp ever since C sharp three, and they're they're very useful, but they they're sort of they, they introduce a paradigm or a style of programming and then underuse it in a way. Um, this, this thing that you can add something to the shape of a type from afar, you know, from a different place uh, and bring it into scope and have it apply to a certain region of, of a program, you know, a source file, for instance, in this case, that's actually very powerful. And it's something that um, again and again, people have asked for, for, other things than methods. Like, why can't I do it for properties? Why can't I do it for static members? Why can't I do, why can't I actually use it to implement an interface, an extra interface on my type is sort of one of the more um, uh, out there perhaps or advanced uh, asks in this area. So for a long time, we've had this idea, and I really do mean a long time, <laughs> that we would expand on extension methods, but we kind of did them wrong uh, from the point of view of generalizing the feature. So we kind of need to start over. And we've done a few attempts at that, but then we got into thinking even more broadly about ways that you would want to augment your existing types. It might not just be in a scope-based way. You might also want to have like um, a whole... You, you might want to do it on a, on specific values, for instance. You might want to have a whole little shadow type system on top of dictionaries, or dictionary-like types that represent your JSON, and but with some you know strongly typed um, 
shadow types, if you will, on top of the dictionary. They won't. They wouldn't really have fields and properties representing that particular shape. There would still be dictionaries underneath, but you could then sort of, without creating a wrapper object or without um, somehow transforming the object or having data loss or whatever, you could just put a different typeface, um, if you will. Um, that means something else as well on um, on existing objects. So this this turned into a very big idea, which I know the next question is alluding to, which is roles. Um, and that big idea is so big that we haven't really gotten a handle on it yet. But that that sort of would create a workhorse language feature that that we we're currently calling roles that could be used to address all the extension everything scenarios as well. So that would really be like a very fundamental new puzzle piece that could drive a whole lot of different uh, experiences, all in the vein of uh, decoupling uh, when where types are declared and and who gets to say something about what they look like. You mentioned that types could potentially be extended with interfaces. Is the idea there that you'd have some type, you might not necessarily have the ability to change the source code, but you want to say it implements an interface that you've defined yourself? Yes. Okay. So so think about a scenario where, um, so let's say that you have, you have a library that introduced some classes. Um, I want to use them. Somebody else has a framework where they sort of define uh, an interface as the way that you plug in to their framework, and they can do all sorts of things through this interface. Um, because you didn't talk to each other, those two things don't fit together. And but I would like to use your classes with their framework. And may, and if I was able to say, well, Brian's class implements this interface. As far as I'm concerned, it implements the interface, and here's how. You know, it might have different method names or signatures or whatever, but I can I can provide a mapping, and the, the closer it is, the simpler it is for me to describe the mapping. But I can provide a mapping that says how your class, with its state uh, as you define it, how it implements that interface, and then I can once I've said that, once I've done an extension interface implementation, if you will, then all through my code I can just behave as if your class implements that interface. That's um, yeah, that's so. really powerful. Yeah, I, I actually had a much simplified, much more simplified version of what I would like to use, but that's much better. Right. Now this is sort of like the this is at the extreme end of what we might or might not allow mm -hmm. the 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 extension interface implementation thing. It does, and it does come with uh, one of the things that we'll have to be a little careful about is that it probably has some non-obvious performance. Uh, impact you know compared to you having implemented the interface yourself at the beginning like there might be some things that are a little more expensive that has allocations that you you know would be surprised by or something so there's that kind of thing mm -hmm. in thinking about how we would implement it but um but we're thinking out to that edge and trying to see can we build a coherent can we you know a coherent workhorse feature at the core of the runtime that we can expose in C-sharp as these different forms of new expressiveness that gives you more decoupling, that, that gives you the ability to put shadow type systems on weekly type things. And in general, yeah, give you more control over 
how you see the types that you use. Gotcha. So you alluded to the next question. So Greg Ingram asks, would be nice to hear more about roles, shapes, effort, and if, when they will be released. Right. So if we, so in a sense, I guess what I said, what I just said is that extension, everything has in a way been taken hostage by the roles effort in that we're trying to solve it all in one fell swoop. And at least we want to see if we can, because that would be best. And that is, we're going to, this is essentially one of those features I mentioned that we're going to start working on uh, more thoroughly, give more attention to in the C Sharp 11 timeframe so that hopefully we have, a, we have a design. Maybe it can even be a preview in C Sharp 11 or you know, it'll take one more release, but at least make significant progress on it so that one day it can be previewed and the next year it can be actually released and you know, um, C-sharp will have this new abstraction mechanism. Would you have any kind of number, 11, 12, 13? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think it, it all depends on, I mean, for me, the most, op the most optimistic estimate I could have here would be that it would be a C-sharp 12 feature that we would preview it in 11 and ship it in 12. If it, if it puts up little resistance when we really try uh, working it out, then that's that's what could happen. Um, more likely, it, there there are dragons, and we haven't even we don't even know where the dragons will be, let alone how hard they will be to defeat. And there are all kinds of ways that this could founder, and we won't even be doing it. And we'll we'll find some. We know that there are ways that we can do extension everything, so we'll find some fallback position on that. And there are many ways it can go. But because um, it's this is like this is the edge of programming languages, you know, this is something that you don't really see in other languages. So we, we kind of have to explore the whole territory on our own in a way that, you know, is um, is time consuming and difficult. A kind of general question, not one from the listeners, but when you are um, trying to add a feature, let's not say this one, because it sounds like it's got a bunch of technical hurdles along with how would you even make it look? But when there is some feature that's, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of the road, is the work in making it understandable and kind of cohesive to see sharp from a kind of a user's perspective, or is the work uh, heavy on the Roslyn team to implement? And I, I know it's probably different for all of them, but kind of... You... Um, well... Maybe take that uh, null. Certainly... If you could take that null one as an example, the one that didn't make it, you know, was that hard to design or was that hard to implement? That one was is definitely one where the design was harder than the implementation. Um, it's and it's it's, but actually, even I mean, the design at the end of the day, the design is super simple, <laughs> um, and the, it, it's just you know just deciding. On those two bangs, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was probably the hardest part. Yeah. And and we see frequently when we you know when we quote unquote steal language features, uh, say from uh, the, a functional tradition or so on, we say okay now C sharp should have records you know or now C sharp should have lambdas or whatever. Um, then it really is as you say the, the, a very a very difficult and hard part is how do we take them to where they make sense in C sharp? How do we make them a, a naturalized citizen of C sharp that fits in with the um, 
the general spirit of the language doesn't grind against existing features too much, um, but kind of clicks in, finds, you know, has a niche that is in harmony with the rest of the language. Ooh, we can spend a lot of time on that. And then on top of that, so that's sort of like at the philosophical level, if you will, sort of like the, the overall design of the feature. And then on top of that, there's like, okay, but then typically there's some part of, there's something you can say with the syntax of the new feature that already means something in the language because there's already so much syntax in C-sharp. And so how can you avoid a breaking change? And how can you, you know, there's that kind of more at the mechanical level fitting in of new things alongside all the existing things and making sure they don't collide. So we spent, if you look at all that all up, we spent a lot of time fitting features into C-sharp as opposed to just coming up with them or deciding on having them. Gotcha. I'll move to the next question. So Cliff Aegis asks, how is the work and advances in .NET 6 and Hot Reload affecting or changing the way language design teams are looking at things? And is it hindering or opening up new avenues? Uh, so far, it hasn't really. Um, I know that, it, and it's possibly just because we haven't really, <laughs> we haven't really uh, gotten to the first point at which the, the efforts are at odds with each other. Maybe, maybe there will be a painful wake up uh, uh, moment. But um, so far, we we haven't really had the like. We talked about how we partner with many teams and and what they do influences what we do, um, but hasn't happened yet on specifically on the hot reload aspect of it. I mean, part of the reason why there might be an interaction is you know hot reload uh, depends a lot on semantics of the language and you know actually making that work um, is harder for some language features than others, and so uh, for some edits you might do. Uh, that the language makes possible. So that could be something in the future there. It's, it's a very good question. It just hasn't yet. For someone who doesn't know what hot reload is, how would you describe it? Well, it's essentially the idea of being able to make changes and keep it to the program and keep it running <laughs> or something close to keeping it running uh, for a certain you know set of possible changes. And this is only within, let's say, the IDE or within a deployed running application? No, and it could be a deployed application. It could be that it changes on your phone as it is running uh, or something like that. Like that's the ideal. Um, it's not, so uh, take what I say here with a grain of salt. I haven't worked on the feature myself. S is probably evident, but um, but it's that kind of technology where, you know, we're always looking to to shorten the, um, the, uh, the developer cycle, right? To, shift left as some people say and to make more things um more live if you will um, and um if you can deploy without stopping the program um, that is certainly shortening that cycle so next question is from saeed hoke i apologize if i'm pronouncing that incorrectly perf and intrinsic improvement okay so Perf improvements, always something that we try to, we always try to have a few features that um, help users. Uh, sometimes it's advanced features that we offer that can help you do something uh, in a more performant way. Sometimes it, it's a feature that's inherently more 
efficient, like I talked about with pattern matching earlier. Uh, sometimes it's sort of a handshake between, and there's an example of that in this uh, in this in C sharp ten, a handshake between, for instance, the BCL team and the language team. So one of the things that has been a um, performance bottleneck has been uh, interpolated strings and uh, passing them on to APIs that want to do something special with them <laughs> and like logging APIs or something like that. And we, and we came up with a rather complicated uh, model by which that, that the compiler and BCL participate in by which, uh, and, you know, we can generate more efficient code for uh, some APIs that expect interpolated strings. And, um, and it's, this is something that you don't really see as a user. You just pass an interpolated string, and you don't really worry that it's going to, it's not going to a string parameter. It's going to a interpolated string handler or thing as well. And then the compiler does the magic to handshake between the two and not allocate all kinds of objects and call back and forth instead and so on. So we, we try to sort of, um, pinpoint, optimize places where we know that people have um, disproportionate number of allocations or in other ways have efficiency issues, uh, too many tight checks or that kind of thing that can get in the way, too many virtual calls that didn't need to be. And sometimes that surfaces in the language, sometimes it's more an implementation thing, but it does surface in the language in various places. Right. Next question. What are the plans to make C-sharp penetrate in the Linux world? Right now, the bulk of servers run on Linux and Java rules there. Well, we don't really have a plan to sort of go in guns blazing and take out Java on Linux, right? We don't, it's, we think that the way to do this is to do what we have done over the past two thirds of a decade uh, to really seriously established.net as a cross platform um, uh, in a, a cross platform uh, yeah framework whatever the word is that there it is not you know we're not tied to windows uh, from a technological point of view even if we might be from a sort of cultural um, historical point of view so we may we really put effort into making c sharp first class uh, awesome experience to run on Linux. We uh, we we really really spent resources on making sure that it it is super efficient on Linux. That it that the, it has the full experience that you would expect. And uh, for that reason, a lot of people are in fact adopting C sharp. And so now so now it's a level playing field, right? Now you can say, well, do I prefer C sharp and the tooling that comes with C sharp, or do I prefer Java and the tooling that comes with Java? Can become more of a, a level playing field decision, and um, and that's the best we can do. We can just say, hey, we we're cool in these ways, and we work on your platform, uh, and then, you know, let the user decide what what fits their purpose better. Yeah, I as I mentioned earlier, I'm using VS Code, but I'm using it on Linux, Ubuntu, I think eighteen oh four. And I wanted to write a blog post about something with SQL Server. So I downloaded a Docker container image of SQL Server, which then ran on Linux, uh, a Docker Linux image. 
uh, companies I've worked in have deployed .NET to Linux Alpine and then put them up in um, AWS Fargate containers. I've written blogs on using .NET inside a container, inside a Linux container inside an AWS Lambda. So I mean, I've I do this, and then I have I have little applications that I run both on Linux and on Windows. It's the same code, and I update them, and then I switch between the computers. So I, from my perspective, it's seamless. Like the only thing that one might say would be missing if they wanted it is full Visual Studio on Linux, but I don't miss that. Yes. yes. Are there any plans for uh, that, or would you know? I think. Um... Yeah, I, I generally can't speak to Visual Studio plans. Sure. That's where we get we we get out of the uh, of the open source world and into the for profit uh, uh, tools world. So whatever investments are in the works there, I should probably not speak That's to. Um, it's but so I mean the thing that we we started out doing that was a quick fix on it is to. Um, is to have VS Code, right? We created VS Code. We made it a great, you know, for, for several programming languages out there, including ones that Microsoft don't have much of a stake in. Um, it is now the the, the premier tool. Um, so that's sort of the way that we we could more quickly uh, get developer tools on, on all the platforms. And on top of that, we do have Visual Studio for Mac, which is a, you know, a paid offering. We know that a very large percentage of the people that target Linux don't actually use it as the development platform. They use uh, either Windows or, or very often uh, Macs. And so that's where we have our, our sort of premium developer experience, if you will. Yeah, I meant I meant to include that too. So all the things I do on Linux with .NET, I can also do on Mac. But I actually have never used full Visual Studio on Mac. I've used VS Code and I've, I've stuck with that. Final listener question, Jonathan Shannon. Are you trying to make C sharp F sharp? How do you see the future of these languages panning out? <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, this is no. <laughs> we are not trying to make C sharp F sharp, but we are learning a lot from uh, the functional tradition, if you will, functional language tradition. C sharp started out very much in the object oriented corner and has grown towards functional programming language almost from the start. Um, in fact, one of the defining differences when C-sharp came out was that there was a first-class function notion that there wasn't in Java, um, and that was, but that was more type-safe than what you had in function pointers in, in C++, for instance. So there's been that little like functional bent maybe from the beginning compared to the, the languages we compared ourselves with at the time. So we've been very inspired by functional programming. And we think there are many, many things in there that um, fit the cloud world and distributed world of computing now very well. So we've been trying to integrate those without, you know, tweaking C-sharp out of shape and, and making it feel unnatural. That said, C-sharp is not going to become a functional programming language. It has a certain, uh, there's a certain like fundamental feel to it that is just different from what you get in F-sharp. And that doesn't just go to the advanced functional features that we don't have, like currying and so on. I think that there's F-sharp has these things like aggressive type inference that we could never get that make it a, a more terse language in many ways, uh, uh, and one that in some ways feels 
simpler. <laughs> it's strange because you you tend to th approach maybe many people approach it thinking, oh, it's a functional language. It's probably very complicated. And you can certainly program it in a way that where the abstraction level is through the roof and and you know everything's everything's carried in higher order and you have you know you have no idea what's going on. But that's not really the style that most people use F sharp in. And it, it, you actually you get a very simple, elegant experience, um, including for things like math and analysis and so on. That um, that is probably you know, out of reach for C sharp, to be honest. And then there are other places where the things you can express in C sharp are more things you wanted. But I don't think that we are. In fact, I feel like if anything, um, C sharp has helped popularize some functional concepts, making it easier for people to try fully functional languages, if, if you will. Um, the gap has become small enough that you can jump across, but it but it's still a gap. And so I think that we're still gonna maintain separate um, identities. And we're focusing pretty hard on, uh, we're focusing pretty hard on F sharp uh, uh, as a, um, you know, as a, as a first choice language for many things like related to machine learning, for instance, and other um, analytical tasks. It, we we really there's a set of scenarios there that we're really trying to make it the best choice for. Any final notes before we wrap up for the evening, Mads? Um, well, if anyone's out there listening, um, all I can say is you know keep an eye out for the new stuff and try it out and and give us feedback. Um, and um, you know you can you can tweet at me at Mads Torgerson or you can go to the uh, C Sharp Lang repo under um, .NET, GitHub, and the various ways to participate. Always want to hear your thoughts. Thanks for the good questions. When is the the release date? Uh, I can't remember the exact date right now. We're in November. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we have uh, the big .NET conf. There are little .NET confs all over the year now, but the big .NET conf in November, uh, that uh, every November mm -hmm. where we release major versions of .NET and also major versions of C-sharp. That's a two or so three day virtual that. conference that free to, for anyone to attend. Yes. Yeah, it's virtual. We get, I think we have over, I can't remember, certainly over 100,000 um, uh, participants every year. Um, that's where we officially, you know, release things. And, and we have Microsoft folks giving talks about the new .NET stuff, and we have community folks giving talks, and you know, uh, it's a big event. Uh, even if it isn't, uh, if it is, if it doesn't exist in the physical space. If you but know. I don't think it ever so, did, um, did it? It was all. I think it was always virtual. It was always virtual, and it's, even before it was cool. And I think it's it's twenty four hour a day. I think is that right? That it kind of follows the sun around the planet. I believe so. Yeah, at least some of it. Well, Matt Storgerson, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure, as always. If you like this episode, you might also like episodes 145 and 146, also with Mads Torgerson about C Sharp 9, or episode 144 with Bill Wagner about .NET 5 and unifying .NET.
The opening music was returned by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Cantina Rag by Jackson F. Smith.